Chapter Three of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume Two, by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, discovers to Miss Betsy a piece of treachery she little expected to hear of. Miss Flora, who had been deterred from saying all she had a mind to do on the affair between Miss Betsy's two lovers, now took this opportunity of giving her tongue all the latitude it wanted. They were no sooner come into the chamber than, "'Lord, my dear,' cried she, with a tone vastly different from that in which she had spoke to her of late. "'How vexed am I for you! It will certainly go all about the town that you are in love with Trueworth, and there will be such cabals and such whispering about it that you will be plagued to death. I could tear him to pieces, methinks, for I am sure he is a vain fellow, and the hint must first come from himself.' "'I never saw anything like vanity in him,' replied Miss Betsy, "'and I am rather inclined to believe Mr. Staple got the notion "'from the idle rattle of Mr. Chapfrey.' "'Mr. Chapfrey,' said Miss Flora, "'thought of no such thing himself, "'till he had been at the tavern with Mr. Trueworth. "'But if I was in your place, "'I would convince Mr. Staple and the world "'that I was not capable of the weakness imputed to me.' "'Why, what would you have me do?' cried Miss Betsy.' "'I would have you write to Mr. Staple,' answered the other, "'and let him know the deception his rival has put upon him.' Miss Betsy, who had always had an aversion to anything of this kind, and thought it too great a condescension to write on any score to a man who had pretended love to her, shook her head at this proposal, and exclaimed against it with the utmost vehemence. Miss Flora made use of all the arguments she could think on, to bring her off from what she called so ill-judged a pride. Among other things, she told her that in compassion to the despair that gentleman had so feelingly expressed in his letter, she ought to give him the consolation of knowing that if he had not gained so far on her affections as he wished, it was not because his rival had gained more, and added that the step she persuaded her to take was such as common justice to her own character had a right to exact from her. Miss Betsy heard, but was not to be prevailed upon, by all she could say on this subject. But the other, who had a greater share of artifice than perhaps was ever known in one of her years, would not give over the design she had formed in her head, and perceiving that the writing to a man was the greatest objection Miss Betsy had to letting Mr. Staple know she was not so much attached to his rival as he imagined, took another way of working her to her purpose which she thought would be less irksome. "'Well, then, my dear Miss Betsy,' said she, in the most flattering accent, "'I will tell you the only method you can take, and I am glad I had been so lucky to hit upon it. You shall let me go, and make Mr. Staple a visit, as of my own accord. I shall take care not to drop a syllable that may give him room to think you know of my coming. But yet, as he may suppose, I am enough in your secrets to be mistress of this.' or at least not altogether a stranger to it. He will, doubtless, say something to me concerning the matter, but if he should not, it will be easy for me in the way of discourse, and, as it were by chance, to express myself in such terms as will entirely clear you and rid him of all the apprehensions he is under of your being in love with Mr. Trueworth. Miss Betsy, was not in her heart at all averse to Mr. Staple's having that éclaircissement Miss Flora had mentioned, and was much less shocked at this proposal than she had been 
at the former, offered to her consideration for that purpose, yet did not seem to come into it, till the other had lavished all the arguments that woman, witty and willful to obtain her ends, could urge to prevail on her to do so, and at last consented not to the execution without exacting from Miss Flora the most solemn vow of an inviolable secrecy. This project being concluded on, and everything related to it, settled while they were dressing, they went together according to their promise to the ladies who expected them, and then accompanied them into the park. But, as if this was to be a day of surprises to Miss Betsy, she here met with something which gave her at least an equal share with that she had received from the letter of Mr. Staple. They had not gone many yards in the mall before they saw three gentlemen coming towards them, one of whom, as they drew nearer to each other, Miss Betsy and Miss Flora presently knew to be the son of Alderman Saving, though he was grown fatter, more ruddy, and in many respects much altered from what he was when he visited at Mr. Goodman's. As our young ladies had not heard of this gentleman's return to England, it was natural for them, especially Miss Betsy, after what had passed between them, to be in some little surprise at the sudden sight of him. He was in some confusion too, but both parties had presence enough of mind to recover themselves so as to salute as persons would do, who never had anything more than an ordinary acquaintance with each other. After the civilities common to people who thus meet by accident, Mr. Saving asked the ladies leave for himself and friends to join company, which, being readily granted, they all walked up the mile together, but the place being pretty full, were obliged to divide themselves and walk in couples, or as it happened. During this promenade, Mr. Saving found an opportunity of saying to Miss Betsy, unheard by any of the others, Madam, I have something to acquaint you with, of great consequence to yourself. It is improper for me either to come or write to you at Mr. Goodman's. Therefore, wish you would appoint some place where I might speak to you. Miss Betsy was very much startled at his mentioning such a thing, and replied, No, Mr. Saving, I do not make a practice of consenting to assignations with men, nor have yet forgot that which I consented to with you. I am very well able to clear myself of any fault on that score, said he. But, madam, to ease you of those apprehensions which might perhaps make you think yourself obliged to keep me at a distance, it is proper to acquaint you that I am married, and that it is only through a friendly regard for your honour and peace that I would warn you against the perseity of a pretended friend. Perceiving, she started at these words, and repeated them two or three times over. Yes, madam, resumed he, and if you will permit me to speak to you in a proper place, will bring with me an unquestionable proof of the truth of what I say. One of the ladies happening to turn back to say something to Miss Betsy, prevented him from adding further. But what he had already spoke made a very deep impression on her mind. She could not conceive who the false friend should be that he had mentioned, unless it were Miss Flora. But though she had seen many instances of her insincerity, was not able to form any conjecture what she could have been guilty of to her, that Mr. Saving, who had been so long absent, could possibly be made acquainted with. Thinking, however, that she ought not to deny herself the satisfaction of the éclaircissement he offered, especially as it was now to be given, not by a lover, but a friend. She sought and found a moment before they left the mall 
of saying to him without the notice of the company, Sir, I have considered on the hint you gave me. Whatever concerns, my honour or my peace, must certainly merit my attention. I have an acquaintance in St. James's Palace, whom I will visit as soon as dinner is over. If you walk a turn or two in the gallery, leading to the Chapel Royal, you will see me pass that way between four and five o'clock. To this Mr. Saving replied that he would not fail to attend her there. Miss Flora, who had been informed by Miss Betsy, after they had parted from Mr. Saving, that he was married, was very full of the news when she came home. But Mr. Goodman, to whom the whole story of that affair had been related by the alderman, said that the young gentleman had done very wisely in complying with the commands of his father, and added that the lady had a very agreeable person, a large fortune, and above all was extremely modest and discreet, so that there was no room to doubt his happiness. There was some further discourse at table concerning this new wedded pair, but Miss Betsy took little share in it, as giving herself no pain for the interests of a person for whom she never had anything but the most perfect indifference. She was, notwithstanding, impatient enough for the account she expected to receive from him, and without saying one word, either to Miss Flora or any of the family, where she was going, went at the time prefixed to the place she had appointed to meet him. Mr. Saving, to avoid being accused of want of punctuality in the affairs of friendship, as he had been in those of love, came somewhat before his time into the palace. As she ascended the great stairs, she saw him looking through one of the windows, waiting her approach, which greatly pleased her, as she would not have thought it proper to have walked there alone, nor would have been willing to have departed, without the gratification of that curiosity his words had excited in her. Excepting the time of divine service, and when the king or any of the royal family go to chapel, few places are more retired than this gallery, none, besides the officers of the household, passing on business into some of the apartments, scarce ever going into it, so that the choice Miss Betsy made in her appointment with Mr. Saving was extremely judicious as the business on which they met was of a nature very different from love and gallantry, and time was precious to them both. They needed not many compliments to utter in what Mr. Saving had to say. He only, to excuse his behaviour to her, while he had professed himself her lover, was beginning to relate the sudden manner in which he had been forced abroad, but she stopped him from going on, by telling him she had heard the whole story of that affair from Mr. Goodman to whom the alderman had made no secret of it. I have only then, said he, to acquaint you, madam, that soon after my arrival in Holland, looking over some papers that my father had put into my portmanteau for my instructions in the business I was sent to negotiate, I found among them a letter which doubtless, in the hurry he was in, he had shuffled with the others through mistake, which, pray, madam, continued he, giving her a paper, be pleased to peruse, and tell me, whether honour and justice did not oblige me to take the first opportunity of cautioning you against the baseness and malice of a person you might otherwise perhaps confide in, on matters of more consequence to your peace than anything on my account could be. Miss Betsy had no sooner taken the paper and looked at the superscription which was to Alderman saving than she cried out with great amazement, "'Bless me! This is Miss Flora's hand!' I think, said Mr. Saving, that I might safely venture to affirm it upon oath, 
having often seen her writing and have even some of it at this instant by me in a song she copied for me on my first acquaintance with her but read madam pursued he read the wicked scroll and see the methods she took to prevail on her father to banish from his presence and the kingdom an only son and to traduce that innocence and virtue which she hated because incapable of imitating on this miss betsy trembling between a mixture of surprise and anger hastily unfolded the letter and found in it these lines wrote in the same hand with the superscription sir the real esteem i have for all persons of honesty and probity obliges me to give you this seasonable warning of the greatest misfortune that can possibly befall a careful and a tender parent as i know you are but not to keep you in suspense your son sir your only your darling son that son whom you have educated with so much tenderness and who is so deservedly dear to you is on the verge of ruin his unhappy acquaintance with mr goodman's family has subjected him to the artifices of a young girl whose little affairs are in the hands of that gentleman she is a great coquette if i had said jilt too i believe the injustice i should have done her character would not have been much but as her share either of fortune or reputation is very small i cannot condemn her for putting in practice all the stratagems in her power of securing to herself a future settlement by marriage i should sir only be sorry that the lot should fall upon your son as i know and the world acknowledges him to be a gentleman of much more promising expectations it is however a thing i fear too near concluded he loves her to distraction will venture everything for the gratification of his passion she has a great deal of cunning though little understanding in things more becoming of her sex he is gay vain and passionately fond of gaming and all the expensive diversions of the town a shocking and most terrible composition for a wife yet such will she very speedily be made by the poor infatuated mr saving if you sir in your paternal wisdom do not find some way to put a stop to his intentions the original of the picture i have been representing is called miss betsy thoughtless a name well known among the gallant part of the town i hope you will take the above intelligence in good part as it is meant with the greatest sincerity and attachment to your interests by sir your most humble but unknown servant a z p s sir your son is every day at mr goodman's and if you will take the trouble to set a watch over him or send any person to enquire in the neighbourhood it will be easy for you to satisfy yourself in the truth of what i have related the consternation miss betsy was in on reading this cruel invective was such as for some moments deprived her from the power of speaking mr saving could neither wonder at nor blame so just a resentment yet to mitigate it in part he confessed to her a secret which till then she had been wholly ignorant of though nothing madam said he can excuse the crime she has been guilty of towards you yet permit me to acquaint you that the malice is chiefly levelled against me and you are only wounded through my sides how can that be cried she she does justice to your character while she defames mine in the most barbarous manner mere artifice madam answered he 
to work my father to her purpose, as I will presently convince you. He then told her that before he ever had the honour of seeing her, he had treated Miss Flora with some gallantries, which, said he, her vanity made her take, as the addresses of a serious passion, till those she found I afterwards made to you, convinced her to the contrary. This, madam, continued he, I am well assured of by her, laying hold of every opportunity to reproach my inconstancy, as she termed it, finding how little I regarded all she said to me on that score, and still persisted in my devoirs to you. She doubtless had recourse to this most wicked stratagem, to cut me from all hope, even though it had been in my power to have inclined you to favour my suit. Miss Betsy found this supposition so reasonable and so conformable to the temper of Miss Flora that she agreed with Mr. Saving in it. She did not now wonder at her wishing to be revenged on him, but could not brook with patience the method she took for being so, and said that if Mr. Goodman did not do her justice on the author of so infamous a libel, she would immediately quit his house and choose another guardian. "'Hold, madam,' said he, "'I must entreat you will give me leave to remind you of the consequences that may possibly attend your taking such a step. I own with you that treachery and calumny such as hers cannot be too severely exposed and punished, but, madam, consider that in order to do this, the accident which brought the letter into my possession, and the opportunity you have allowed me of presenting it to you, must be made known, the latter of which you may be confident she would not fail to make such representations of, as would not only hurt me, both with my father and my wife, but also furnish the malicious world, too apt to judge by appearances, with some pretence, for casting a blemish on your own reputation. These remonstrances had some part of the effect they were intended for on the mind of Miss Betsy, yet, having an aversion to dissimulation, and not knowing whether she could be able to conceal either her resentment or the cause of it, she cried out hastily, without considering what she said. Why, then, did you let me know the injury done me, since it is improper for me to do anything that might extort a reparation? I could not, madam, replied he, behold you harbouring a snake in your bosom, without warning you of the sting. I am certain the easing you of my troublesome address has been no cause of mortification, and it was not that you should revenge what she has already done, but to put you upon your guard against anything she may hereafter attempt to do, that I resolved to take the first opportunity of letting you see what she was capable of. Miss Betsy was by this time fully persuaded by his arguments, but could not forbear complaining of the difficulty it would be to her to look or speak civilly, to sleep in the same bed, or behave in any respect as she had been accustomed towards so unworthy a creature. She thanked him, however, for his good intentions to her, and before they parted, promised to follow his advice, if it were only, as she said, in consideration that to act in a different manner might be a prejudice to his domestic peace. End of chapter 3